February 7th, 2024. We're continuing in Morene Buchim. Last week we finished Halegim al Perik Nun Aleph. This week the plan is to learn together Perik Nun Bet here in Halegim But prior to beginning that, I want to just return to a point that we made a few times over the course of our learning of Perik Nun Aleph. And that is, and we'll supplement it or deal with a, another source with regards to it, and that was that Harambam's description of this avodah, this connectedness to God and this constant sense, can be, in his mind, inhibited, or at the very least distracted by, engagement in this world. There was several, maybe surprising, or maybe just it caught you off guard, passages where Harambam described the greatness of the Avot and of Moshe Rabbeinu, and particularly calling attention to the Avot description, if you recall, his words were, and we'll read them quickly in, in English in the source in front of us, something along the lines of, you should know how great they were. That it's true, they spend time talking to people and engaging in this world, but in truth, their mind was always disconnected. Their values were always connected to God. And we called attention to that because I, 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 I very much, I don't take offense at all, but I very much do envision, generally speaking, Jewish thought to be very different than that. Even, or maybe specifically those who um, don't shy away from engagement in the world, but very much um, a see through it, a mode, a mean for avodat Hashem, wouldn't articulate in that fashion. They wouldn't say, while you're involved in this world, we'll steal away every second to think about God, make certain that you're not getting distracted by that involvement. Generally speaking, and maybe this is to a certain extent a mystical orientation, but the vision is that I can and should, through my avodah in Gashmiyut, I'm almost speaking Kabbalistically now, find a Ruhaniyut. It is, in fact, I've read this more than once, it was one of the Baal Shem Tov's uh, motifs. Avodah Shiba Gashmiyut. You'll find avodah through the physical. Harambam is far and distant from that. But I want to just point out further, it's a point we made, but it's just to, to say, state it a little bit more sharply, there's a divide for Harambam. There's a divide, and for that reason, now let's be clear and certain that we understand that this chapter, these several last chapters from Perik Nun Aleph until the end, are talking about this ideal individual who made it, an uh, individual who's no longer in Avoch, who's no longer confused. But for those individuals, there is an elevation, an ascension from this world involvement. It's the Moshe at the top of Har Sinai. So Raymond Dayan, last week, after the class, texted me. It is. Texted me, I'm sorry. Texted me um, that in The Lonely Man of Faith by Rabbi Soloveitchik, at the very end, a footnote addresses this passage, or at the very least cites this passage. And I personally think it's very instructive to... uh, read through it a little bit, try to understand what Rabbi Soloveitchik was trying to glean from it, it's those three, um, and in turn reflect back on the words of Harambam, whether they do make his point or not. Very briefly, Mamash, al Hat stated what Lonely Man of Faith is about, is it's structured around the first two chapters in Bereshit, it envisions them as two separate typologies, better yet, as two different directions, perspectives, approaches to life. In Perik Aleph, it's that majestic man, it's our mandate to go out, to better the world, to be koveshet uh, to see within it the potential for greatness, but not per se in the, uh, call it, well, the second mode is the covenantal man, is the le'ovdau le'shomra, it's finding within the garden, the gun, a connectedness. Now the second chapter is about our avodah in the synagogues, in the study halls. The first chapter is about our engagement in, his words a lot of times are the hospitals. Uh, we might be audacious and say it's anywhere, he would agree to that, it's in the uh, court, it's in the business room as well. It's the ability to, so to speak, master the physical world. Is there, is there a, some sort of crossover between those two typologies? It's Pedagal and Pedagbet, after all, though, and it's two separate chapters. For Rabbi Salvechik, that is the loneliness of this man of faith. He's constantly finding himself at odds with the world that he's in. When he's in, so to speak, the majestic man world, when he's involved with the larger world, well, he's got that covenantal, you know, drawing him back sense. He's got that nag which tugs him back to the synagogue. When he's in the synagogue, well, he might be very much at home there, but he at the same time has his eye on the hospital and what he can do outside. There's little, although there are some passages, and specifically at the end in this passage, 
little uh, focus on what you know someone like Rav Cook would very much focus on a synthesis between these worlds. Is it's there very a much conflict, or is it just one brings you to the other? So, so, much as so he doesn't describe it as a conflict, absolutely, but it's not that they're synthesized. Synthesized means, to use the Midrash that I've been using in recent weeks in this class, of Hanoch, while you're sewing the shoes, in those movements you are connecting to God. Whereas Rabbeinu Avraham ben Harambam uh, envisioned it as, no, he was able to focus on God, and he took a simple craft so that it wouldn't take him away from it. Now, it's no small feat, I'm aware, to find God and a connectedness through yeah. sewing shoes. But for the Kabbalists, for the, for, the, for the Hasidim, that's the ideal. That's how you find it. Rabbi Salvejic very much veers on the other side. He doesn't at moments and times, and later scholars who analyze his work point this out, there are moments where there is a synthesis, but it's not the gist of this paper. The gist of the paper is how we're constantly, again, they're not negating one another, but they don't overlap is the way to say it. And I'm just going to briefly read to you before the footnote what he writes over here. He says, if one would inquire, it's, it's the page before it's, it's copied for you, uh, would inquire of me about the teleology of the halakha, I would tell them that it manifests itself exactly in the paradoxical yet magnificent dialectic which underlies the halachic gesture. In other words, he's describing somehow that halakha, and we'll read this in a second, is what brings these two worlds together. When man gives himself to the covenantal community, the halakha reminds him that he is also one and needed in another community, the cosmic majestic, right? Oh, it's the moment you study Torah, you realize you're supposed to be outside. And when you go outside, you realize that there's halakha which governs what you're doing. So he finds, so to speak, halakha as that, as that rope which connects these two worlds. As well, when I study halakha, I realize, when I study Torah, I realize my responsibility. When I'm in the world, I manifest it through halakha. But is it really a synthesis? To what extent? So here, if you'll read a footnote three together with me for a few moments, Maimonides, he writes, distinguishes between two, two, type, two kinds of dialectic. One, the constant oscillating between the majestic and the covenantal community. That's what this essay is really all about, right? The oscillating, the going back and forth. I uh, don my uh, doctor clothing and I save lives and then I put on my jacket and tie and I go study Torah. The side two, the simultaneous involvement in both communities, which is the highest form of dialectical existence and which, according to Maimonides, only Moses and the patriarchs achieved. Right, so that second one, obviously, he's leading us, and he will explicitly, to our chapter, our Perek in Moren Buchim, where you can find both at once. I think it's very important to know, this is really why Raymond sent it to me, that his vision of finding both at once, Rabbi Salvechik's, in quoting from Harambam, is not exactly per se, if I were to uh, call on someone to summarize, and they know Lonely Man of Faith, they wouldn't say it the way Harambam and Rabbi Salvechik really intends it. They would say, through halacha, I can find fulfillment of my mission through everything I do. Whereas Harambam says, Halakha will give me the capability to stay focused on the real significant matters, even while I'm in the real world, right? That's the way, that, that's an important and significant point. It's, to put in other words, it's cheap to put in these words, but I'd like to, for a moment or two. Uh, Rabbi Dr. Lamb wrote a book called uh, Torah Umada, and uh, it was, for many years, on the emblem of Yeshiva University. I've heard critique to that, uh, to that description. Torah umada, uh, Torah and knowledge, or mada meaning engagement in broader knowledge, sounds as if there's a conflict. It appears as if there's Torah and I'll find a utility of some sort, even in a, uh, even in a covenantal respect, but I'll find something in the knowledge and engagement in the world. But is there really a dichotomy? Is there really a conflict? So again, they can and should point to this essay and to Arambam's words. It's not, we would have perhaps said, that the Avot, uh, in spite of engagement in this world, found God. No, quite the opposite. Uh, it should be said that in this world, they rose to that ability to find engagement with God through encounters with humanity, etc. I just find that an important point to, again, identify and realize that Harambam is very much, and to the question we were speaking about beforehand, it's not speaking to the ascetic lifestyle, but it is. 
In other words, it is that the ideal of the ideal is removing yourself from engagement with others. After the class last week, someone else asked, well, does that mean that Moshe Rabbeinu's general mission was a bidiyavad mission? In other words, once he got the Torah Har Sinai, once he spent 40 days and 40 nights without eating and drinking and so on and so forth, that rendezvous together with God, achieving an Isha Elohim status, why do you come back down and lead the people? Hand that off to Yehoshua or something like that. You just stay at the top of the mountain for the rest of your life. Harambam, I can't, I, I'm sure Harambam will say, well, you have a responsibility, you have a mission, but ideally you wouldn't be doing that. Whereas, again, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just pontificating, but the Torah does not, in my mind, speak to us as if, Moshe, you know, he had to do this, but he was really just trying to make his way back into the tent the whole time and to the top of the mountain. There are moments at the top of the mountain, and then there are moments at the bottom of the mountain where you're achieving something akin to that, where your face is radiating light akin to the top of the mountain when you're not at the top of the mountain at the end of Parashat Kitisa. I just want to call attention to that and to make that clear. We'll read one more paragraph here on page 59. The unqualified, the second or third paragraph here, acceptance of the world of majesty by the halakha, he had at the top of the page quoted from Harambam, expresses itself in its natural and inevitable involvement in every sector of human majestic endeavor. There's not a single theoretical or technological discovery from new psychological insights into the human personality to man's attempt to reach out among the planets with which... The halakha is not concerned. So again, it's not that it's not appropriate and it's not that it's not beautiful, but it's a bit limited, Rabbi Salvechik's vision of halakha, of Torah's engagement with the world. How does the Torah engage with the world by applying halakhic norms to it? It's not that the world can and should be the mode and medium through which I do engage in the covenantal sense. No, that's got to be in Gan and that's got to be at the top of the mountain. I mean, he goes on and he talks about as well, this acceptance is uh, easily proven in regard to the total majestic gesture is most pronounced in the halakha's relationship to scientific medicine, the art of healing. And so he finds these sorts of notions there as well. All right, that was just what I wanted to introduce us with. But Perek Nun Bet in the Moreh, so to turn to the other packet of pages in front of you, in the Moreh we'll continue Haram Bam's description of this Moreh for the uh, maskilim, this moreh for the hachamim. Uh, we are no longer instructing the confused ones, but we're speaking to the enlightened ones. And if you recall in the last chapter, in Perik Nunal, if we talked about ahava, probably best defined as an initial inspiration to uh, engage in intellectual perception and involvement and things of that sort. And then this overarching avodah, this ecstatic state of constant thought of God, that avodah. This chapter, this perik nun bet, before the perik that we want to get to as well, which Sammy, uh, to a certain extent, stepped us into of tzedakah, mishpat, etc., and chesed, which is afterwards, this one deals with yir'ah, awe or fear. Uh, So Harambam, in several places in his Mishneh Torah, talks about fear and love, and has uh, very iconic descriptions of them. I want to caution, not with regards to Ahava. Ahava can very much match up with Moreh Nebuchim, Ahava. Yir'ah, in every place, and I made certain to do a little bit further research on this in some of the scholarly articles and books written on these chapters, everybody in their own way makes this point. You can't square Harambam's description of Yir'ah here with pretty much any other place where he talks about Yir'ah. At the beginning of Hilchot Yesodea Torah and Perek Bet, Harambam's description of Yir'ah is being jolted backward by the magnificence and awesomeness of God. It's a moment of realization where I get jolted backward. And that's over there. At the end of Sefer Hamadan, Hilchot Teshuvah, he talks about Yir'ah as being Yir'at Chet, fear of punishment. Neither one of those, neither the intellectual angle of Yir'ah nor the more base level of, of fearing punishment is going to be what Yir'ah here is in this chapter. Stated briefly, what it will be in this chapter is it's the, uh, it's the engagement with mitzvot and avodah. Yir'ah, to put it in a sentence, is the way we would say maybe, at least I would, someone's a Yir'eh Shemaim. What do you mean they're a Yir'eh Shemaim? It means they live with a... Well, it means that somehow their actions are all dictated by uh, some sort of focus. That's very much what this chapter will be about. Stated differently, and we'll return to this at the conclusion, Ahava is what begins this. Ahava is an interest to connect to. 
Yir'ah is what links us in that intellectual endeavor through focusing us, do all these mitzvot which will focus you, and then you live a life of avodah at the top of the mountain. That's really the way to describe this. We'll come back to that point. But right, Tarambam, and as I told you, these last several chapters, specifically this one, read very much like a contemporary Musar book, En Yeshivato Shel Adam, understand that your actions, your um, endeavors, your involvements when you're by yourself in your home are in no way par- parallel or comparable to when you're in the presence of a king. Your states of levity and excitement, happiness, enjoyment are not the same when you're with your family and you feel comfortable in that respect, as opposed to when you have to be focused and realize that you have to have an appropriate composure and disposition when you're in the presence of a king. Therefore, Says Harambam, and we're about to hit the punchline here, but you know, it'll take you a little bit off kilter if you're not a Maimonidean at heart. Says Harambam, understand that true knowledge of your constant presence. Uh, with the king, don't forget in the last chapter he talked about the Mashal Ha'armon, entering into the inner chamber of that palace, seeing the king being with the king, it's greater, more grand than even David and Shlomo. Well, well, that's, that's speaking very much to many of us. Melech Tzamud Ve'ofev Zeh. Who is this king who is connected and present? Hasechel. Says Harambam, you want to know what the king is? The king is your mind. Your mind is the vehicle, the instrument, the mechanism of connecting to God. It's his knowledge which was mushpa, which was flowed into existence. And in turn, everything that you and I achieve and understand is our connectedness to God. Arambam wrote about this earlier in the Moray. He writes about this pretty much everywhere he can. Philosophers for centuries and generations have been talking about this concept as well. To connect to God, we need to find a uh, way to connect. And what is the pretty much only way to connect? It's through connecting to intellect. He uh, spilled in a non-literal or physical sense his intellect into existence, willing with that existence, every time we attach to him, it's an attachment through the intellect. There's an irony just in this line in the more contemporary usage of it because Rama, the Bimoshe Isilis, who writes the glasses to Shulchan Aruch at the very beginning of Orachayim, very beginning of Shulchan Aruch, Siman Aleph, Zaif Aleph, cites from More Nebuchim. Not something you'd necessarily expect, Rama, a Polish and the Polish rabbi, 16th century, Kabbalist uh, to boot, uh, writes the following, quoting straight from Moreh Nebuchim. Just listen to how he presents it. He writes the following, Haga, Shiviti Adonai lenegdi tamit, hu kelal gadol, batorah ma'alot ha-sadikim asher holichim lifnei ha-elokim. Okay, so far, not harambam, paraphrasing, perhaps, to have and to envision God present at all times, great. Ki, listen to the words, you'll recognize them, your actions when you're alone in your home, like you're sitting in actions, word for word. I mean, and we're not even, it's, it's, it's a tr- all translation, right? Now he's admitting, he tells you he's quoting from Onayin Mukhim. There's no question over here. So then your, your speech, your conversations are different with the king as opposed to with people. Now, the next line in Haram Bam was, who's the king? The mind is the king. It's just interesting. It's, it's, it's very telling. 
Ramah does not refer to the king as being your Sechel, but the king to being HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Why won't Harambam refer to it in such a fashion? Pretty much for the reason that he wrote Morena Muchim. I think he'd be disgusted by this presentation of his words. Even though you and I might say, rightfully so, it amounts to the same thing. Harambam would say, absolutely, that sort of expression is giving God some sort of manifested, almost physical involvement in this world. No, your attachedness to God, the way you come closer to him, is through the pure and pristine intellect. Rama, how dare you? Rama would say, no, I'm just trying to get people thinking about God. Isn't that what you want as well? Rama would say, absolutely. But through the mind, not through envisioning him there with you. What does that mean? Envision him intellectually there with you. Anyway, that being the case, continues Harambam, and he's back to being a Musar book. He's no longer going to give us the philosophical, you know, tangents. And the same way that we achieved and understood God through that light, that's the words I was using earlier, which he flowed to us, the light, a reference to intellect, God, you're, so to speak, like the sun who gave us the light with which we can see the sun. At the bottom of page 666. describes how we are, if we use our intellect properly, connected and with God at all times. Again, where we want to be, uh, certainly the me'udim, haven zotefo. Understand this. Me'ud, very much so. When those who are shlemim, not the nebuchim, the complete ones, when they get this, they then get and develop a appreciation known as yira, anava, yira, or anava, humility. Pahad min ha'el, fear of God. Some sort of shame or embarrassment in true ways. Lo dimyoniot, lo dimyoniot, not imaginative ways. Hagormim lahem, key words. Linhog betzina'a b'neshehem. Ubibet ha'kiseh, kemoshem noagim befumbi b'shar b'nei adam. Yir'ah is, and he'll say it clearly, the manifestation through action of that ahava which you achieved through understanding a little bit or having a glimpse of a understanding of God. Now that I've connected intellectually, how will that express itself through actions? First and foremost, through actions of retraction. He didn't talk about actions last week. He talked about how the mitzvot, how the whole corpus of mitzvot are purpose to get us to ahava, right? Something along those lines. And that that expression can be an avodah. Now he's going to describe the performance of all the mitzvot as yir'ah. Is that contradicting it? I don't think so. Don't forget, he was describing specific mitzvot last week. He described the kiryat shema and the tefillah and all those moments of where you can focus. Now he's going to say, everything, all your course, this worldly actions, mitzvot, and call it uh, the gray zone of existence, all of those, if inspired by, if driven by yir'ah, will be focused. Focused to the extent that they'll be removed. To the extent that, well, he's going to describe. It's not fear. You cur- What's that? It's not fear. Can't it's not fear. fear. No, it's not fear. It's not even awe. It's not fear or awe. It is action it is focused action, or it's action which focuses you. You're going to read it with me. There's no other way of translating it, I don't think. says that the way that a person can and should, in an ideal sense, engage even sexually with their wives is very much curbing your enthusiasm, stepping back a little bit, not exposing, not engaging too much. Uh, talk about asceticism, uh, A.B. In other words, he is describing, listen, you got to be in this world, you have to be with your wife, but, you know, curb it, uh, you know, cover it. So, too, it's the way you use the bathroom, defines this yirah, this connectedness, this focused actions. What's your posture as you walk, in the physical sense? 
you may not walk with an upright posture. Why? Because God fills all places. Uh, you, by showing an upright posture, seem to be denying that. All of these approaches, all of these engagements in this uh, diminished fashion can and will reinforce a focus on God. It's an amazing thing what has happened in these chapters and I'll repeat it even though I said it enough times last week, whereas Halekimah brought us through Ta'ameh Kol HaMitzvot. You want to know what the reason for this, and for this, and for this? It's take you away from Avodah and that for this, and so on and so forth. That's all preliminary. Once you got there, should I stop doing them? So, no, no, continue doing them, but new focus. Forget about Avodah you're so past that. Forget about community building. <laughs> Ironically, you're so past that. What's the purpose of Mitzvot now? Focus. That's it. It takes you away from the physical, it focuses you on God. That's it, that's what he got himself to. He's appealing to Gemarot, where head covering is appropriate. Same reason. That's why we speak less. Why? The Avot is Barnu in our commentary to Avot, he writes it, Tarawila is Birbit Barmiuta Dibur, Kia Elohimba Shamaim Atala Aritz, Aken Yudvarechame Atim. Pasuk and Koelet says, since you're in this world and God's in the heavens, you don't really have that much to talk about. Oh, it's such a prolific writer, too. What's that? Right, interesting. Good point. Shalomah HaMelech, where is your, uh, where is your standing to your word? If we don't have anything to say, then why'd you write so much? But regardless, that notwithstanding the irony, um, I, I just will point out, again, the point is, you got very little to do here. Uh, what are you uh, attempting to do? To ascend. And as a result, what are you talking about? This worldly stuff? Really minimizing all that. No, no, but maybe I can achieve through this worldly. Ha! Joke's on you. That's not the way this works. Matara zot asher hesabti etzomet libecha elea hi matarat ma'aseh Torah kulam. There's the line. Matara purpose. The purpose, this Yir'ah business, is the heading to all the mitzvot. Again, for the Isha Me'oleh, for the Isha Shalim, for this individual who got here, mitzvot are no longer practical and pragmatic. They are now, I mean, they are, for one purpose. What is it? Again, it's for the elite. Ha-hakshara, it's training. Training, to get you to complete human which brings you to a state of cognizance of God constantly. All mitzvot. He says, when you got to this level, you're done with ta'ameh mitzvot. There's one ta'am la mitzvot. It's called yira. What's yira? Constant engagement with remembering God with focus on his essence, his engagement with you in this ecstatic state of being, which again, I can't describe because I haven't been there, right? You're going to, as a result, have this fear, this trepidation with knowledge of who, so to speak, is with you. Afterwards, you'll do your responsibility. Well, what is your responsibility? So that, to continue doing you that. That's that level, Does yeah. that diminish your involvement in the mitzvot because you're really not that critical because you've reached that point? Right. So, in other words, if it's all for training, yeah. A, B is therefore questioning. Does that mean, well, we certainly, it's, it's, a person could make the claim, well, I've gotten there, well, now let me minimize in certain performance of mitzvot now. He very clearly will never state that. However, even just philosophically speaking, the answer is philosophically speaking, yes. Legally speaking, I think the answer is certainly no. There's pragmatic reasons for that. I will tell you there are all sorts of midrashim about which books will be relevant and which mitzvot will be relevant in the days of Mashiach. No, but you want to know what that's speaking to. It's a similar point. It's a similar point. All the practical perspectives, Harambam would say, and directions of mitzvot, when you got to that shleimut state, which, right? that's when, leave those aside and focus on the ones that keep you focused on him. Uh, but, so in other words, I, I think he's, he's very clearly saying we're dealing with the Avot and Moshe Rabbeinu, and very clearly stating, 
That's who it is. So he's telling you, don't, don't, you know, don't, tr- don't even tread in these waters. But, yes, philosophically speaking, you are correct. When you've gotten there, the mitzvot did their job, and now they are training grounds. Do you stop training? Well, you can't stop training. You'll get weakened. But maybe you continue training, and you have your own regimen in some respect when you got there. Okay, um, but maybe the regimen is Torah mitzvot. I, again, I, hard, hard to answer, but you're certainly on, on the path of, you know, where you can lead this to. We now have achieved and, and arrived at the purpose of the mitzvot, the purpose of this whole structure. Not, could you qualify that statement by saying not the purpose of the mitzvot, but the purpose of mitzvot for this type of person? Yes, I'm so sorry. I, I've been trying to say that every time. I did it because, this time. Yes. Because what, what he's basically saying, and it's not such a crazy thing to think, that such a well-developed, such thoughtful system presented to us as mitzvot may have different function for different people. Absolutely. It's not, it's, it's almost more natural to think that. Absolutely. And he's articulating which, it. Which so gives me, we can, well said, well said. So just, just, I, I like, I like for, few. This is just, no, no, but well, he, no, 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 it's he a limited few who they it, are. But he's well, start with this. Like, right. This is the end. He's saying, okay, we covered this guy, we covered this guy, yeah. now we got to this guy, and it's just so you idea. have perspective, we did the little palace thing so that you know who you are, and if you got to this part, this is how it works. Right. Well said. Well said, but again, A.B., Nobody. Very few. Nobody. Okay, fine. But it, but, it, it, but, it placed the, but it put the playing field in front of us. It told but us who we're dealing with. to understand... Yeah. If, even if you're not there, maybe it's a way of saying, don't go there. This is just, this is interesting to think about. Right. This is quote-unquote Yimont HaMashiach. Yes, that's that's what the rabbis call this Yimont HaMashiach. He right. calls this Anashim Shlimi. Exactly. Which, this. Which, which, for this, again, for completion, yeah. he's presenting it yeah. and saying, well said. people today aren't expected to do well this, said. it could be something. Well said. And, and which, which, by the way, as well, even though it is a little ironic, maybe maybe there's even maybe there's even a truth to to your comment for this as well. Again, he's borrowing the word yira, which he has used elsewhere differently. In, unless we suggest yira is multi-tiered, and yira for this individual is translated as such. Yira for the child is translated as that. Yira for the mature adult as as the middle. In other words, that's so we have a spectrum of yira. The whole section, first section talking about understanding the definition of words to sure. try to maybe let you know, sure. ah, these, I can explain to you, those may have different meanings for different people. I, I will on this occasion as well then remember equally so how we've had conversations about development of mitzvot in Moreno Bukhim's eyes. Mm-hmm. Remember the definition of ayin tahat ayin, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, it, very much in line with this sort of thought, that those words stated in the Torah will develop with the development of humanity and generations as well. I say it all the time, I'm sure I said it in that class as well. I say if you look carefully in the Torah, the Torah, in my opinion, in certain areas develops them as we're, as we're reading the text. Mm-hmm. You'll see a development in the reason and rationale for a mitzvah. Hey, I read this earlier, but now it's being presented differently. Is that a contradiction or is that a development or a different perspective for different individuals mm-hmm. with regards to, quote, ta'ameh ha-mitzvah? Well said. Hu amar im lo tishmo la'asot et kol divrei ha-torah azot ha-kitulim ba-sefer hazeh at the very bottom of page 67. Keep in mind, he's quoting Pasuk in Devarim, which says, if you don't fulfill all and everything written in this book, in order to come to Yira, not what you and I would necessarily describe, that the actions, the purpose of mitzvot is to bring me to Yira, unless his definition of Yira for the Mushlam. In other words, the action. Go ahead. Impossible. So now I can never get to this Yira, I can never get there. Is this Pasuk in Devari? Yes, of so, course. Uh, wow. In other words, that's an interesting point you make. Um, in other words, the description is that all of these mitzvot, you're reading it very literally, bring you to Yira. Unless you read it as all of these mitzvot, 
bring you on the path to Yira. Do you understand the difference? In other words, do you need all the mitzvot to get to Yira, or do any of these mitzvot? You can all fulfill to the best of your ability because the fulfillment of them will bring you to Yira. But an interesting thought to continue on. But again, his purpose in the Pasuk is, seemingly, yeah. Yeah. to say Yira'ah is the manifested Ma'aseh HaMitzvot. Ha'itbonen efor ketad amalecha bimforash sh'akavanah shel kol divrei ha-Torah hazot hitachlit ahat v'hi l'yira'at Hashem. What's the purpose of all the things, matters, written in the Torah, everything in Yira'ah. Yira. What is Yira? Yira is the is the constant uh, focus, the constant he called the training. Two, mindfulness. Mindfulness of what? Of God. What do you get once you arrived at the mindfulness? Avodah. What's Avodah? Ecstatic communion described in Perikun Aleph. Et heyota tachlitazot museget alidehama asim yodeata midabero ibioto pasuk imlo tishmor la asot. In other words, he says that the purpose over there very clearly is the actions. The description is the actions and, and prohibitions are this focusing on what brings you to what we call Yira'ah. He says, when we talk about, when we think about the initial thoughts of Yehud Hashem, when we have contemplation, when we have cognitive activity, that brings us to what we call Ahava, a connectedness to God intellectually. Ahava is your objective, with all your heart, with all your soul, etc., this couple, these two sides of a certain coin, there are two modes which need to, and I, if I'm understanding it correctly, lead one into the other. Ahava is intellectual appreciation, understanding, and connectedness. You can and should do that, he said earlier to us, when you say berachot, when you do tefillah, when you look at nature, when you understand physics and metaphysics and so on and so forth. Ahava! What's ahava? Ahava is taking in and understanding and realizing uh, the shefa habore in that. Continues Arambam, v'hayir'ah, But then yir'ah is through the actions. And what's the purpose of those actions? to train you, to focus you. What's the end goal? Avodah. That's what he told us earlier. Haven efosikumze. Yes, go ahead. Avodah ul obdo What's avodah? Avodah is some sort of all-encompassing reality. What is that? This ecstatic communion with God. Ahava is what maybe you and I are working on when we learn Moreno Vuchim. Yir'ah is, in his eyes, what we do when we walk out of the room, if we're focused properly and we're doing this right. And then Avodah is, I mean, if you got there. Avodah is, uh, you're on the top of the mountain. Go ahead. No. Those are all practical, pragmatic necessities, which, I, I, I hear you, I hear you, which in the scheme of things, says Harambam, yeah, they're necessary for humanity. Your relationship with God is not. I get to that level. Not worrying about that again. Isn't that an amazing thing? Again, so, that's because other people are caring about that. Guy. You no. know, if you get to that no. level, yes, understand. No, no, no. Let Let's accept it. Yeah. No, no, no. But you understand what you're saying with I that. I do. I do. You understand what you're saying. You're saying if I have to try, but you're you're, you're therefore saying. I'm not wired that way. I'm no, not but you're therefore I, saying that, and I'm not. I'm, if I found an avodah kol. Okay, I'm using those words purposefully. An avodah kolel. And you and I would admit that's the top of the mountain. I therefore say, you do the yetomim and almanot. I'm going there because I can be there. That's what it is. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's a bold statement. I'm not even saying that it's so much choice as it's, as it's more of a matter of awareness. 
it's a more matter of understanding that they're just different wired and I'll, brains. I'll take it one step further, back to the question that I was asked <laughs> last week. Moshe Rabbeinu, he was the only one to lead them? Because he was the only one who could be at the top of the mountain. He couldn't pass it off to Yahushua. I know he was the leader. I know all that stuff. Harambam would say, if Yahushua was capable in the desert, he should have been begging God, let me stay at the top of the mountain because I shouldn't be doing that. Someone else who's equally qualified as me should. In other words, there's nothing, it brings us back to the lonely man of faith conversation, there's nothing intrinsically or inherently of value, so to speak, in the bettering of the environment and people and communities. That's all just a way of koshering the ground so that we could catapult so upward. You could say Moshe reached that intellectual level? He told us he did. He came down. Crazy, right? Care of the people. I understand. I will judge until you throw say you take him each time. But <clears throat> I will take care of him. So I, I don't see that, that's the cap. No, no. I don't see this Amy, you're saying the same thing as me. We're just asking. I'm He's saying you. no, but Sammy's telling us what Halam Bam's telling us. We're asking, what are you doing with Moshe Rabbeinu? We're asking furthermore, what do you do with the Sulam? If you recall, the Sulam was I went up. But then the Malachi Elohim were Olim, they're going up, Viyoridim. Remember, it's all intellectual perception. It's prophets and so forth. Faham, go ahead. He's talking to somebody who can do that, who can come back down and stay connected, which we are understanding. He's to speaking be to one just of the Abbots. Well right. said. Not everyone could do that. Well said. So the Sulam was for Yaakov and pretty much only for yeah. Yaakov. The full message of the Sulam. The full message of the Sulam. coming down, but it's not for everybody. Right. Okay. Means he's painting a picture of reality, different personality. Reality or an abstract reality? No, he's telling you that in this case, no one's capable of doing it. Again, it's only the last four chapters. Right. So in everything, case, it's, right. it's not us. It, you call it a track, theoretical, <laughs> yeah. but it's certainly in his eyes described in the Torah. What I'm confused about quickly is if he's presenting these two. Terms, Ahava and Yidah. Mm-hmm. Would you think that they would mirror Sefer Ahava and Sefer? He would call it Yidah instead of Sefer Mada, because those are like the Fascinating. intro. Fascinating. So it, it, it lends credence to the point that for Harambam, Mishneh Torah is for, which makes a lot of sense, is for the earlier sections of Moreh Nebuchim, which makes a lot of sense, because this later section of Moreh Nebuchim has a whole different schema of yeah, yeah. mitzvot vision. But yes, Ahava in, Sefer, in, in Mishneh Torah is all about the actions. Yeah. Now it does have Tefillah and Kiryat Shemai in it, which, which are the Ahava funny. stuff, but it's about the constancy and connection that's a fascinating he thing. He it into one Right, in other words, category. you want Sefer Hamadah. According to this chapter, Sefer Hamadah should be known as Sefer Ahava, and, uh, Sef, and uh, Sefer uh, Ahava should be known as Sefer Ayira. Fascinating. Possibly, fascinating. Confusing. Again, it very confusing, and that's why I, pres- I began by telling you that in Mishneh Torah, the definition of Ahava and Ahava Leso Yira is definitely different. Yira has nothing, although it's not altogether different because it's still contemplated, but yes, in the initial statement. Okay, so here in this last uh, piece that I'd like to just uh, read together, it's nothing that we haven't said already, but it's uh, from this book. It's called The Matter and Form of Maimonides' Guide. It's written by Professor Joseph Stern, who, if I'm not mistaken, professor in Chicago University. And uh, here he, as well as, as I told you, many scholars weigh in on the exact definitions that Harambam is setting forth for us of Yira'ah here at the end of the Moreh. He may have talked about it in one or two places earlier, certainly in the Mishneh Torah. But here, I'm not getting into all the nitty-gritty. I want to read to you on page, with you, 331 to the top of page 332, how he, to a certain extent, summarizes what we just read. I think it's stated well. I think it clarifies, again, what could be a little bit hard to define and put words to what exactly is Yir'ah, how does it link with Ahava, what was that Avodah which we read about, a lot of concepts which as Sammy said are, if anything, more confusing because of Hanan Bob's word usage elsewhere, even the names of his books elsewhere. Here, he just quoted from, if you see at the top it says 352, so in the uh, second paragraph on the page here, Maimonides gives one reason for all the actions prescribed by the law, right? There was one reason for all the mitzvot, training. 
Akshara, on page 331, second paragraph. Just quoting from what we just read, especially through the repetition of particulars that leads to fear, dread, and awe of God, and in turn to human perfection. What's the purpose of the mitzvot for the Adam Hashem? I mean, there's also such an irony, I just want to point so out. We imagine, what's that? He'll get to Ahava afterwards. Not in, this so not in this paragraph, no, no, because it, it didn't really come up in our chapter all that much. But uh, it, it, there's, an, there's another irony. I want to point out the other irony. The other irony is we usually assume, and I think for good reason, that the greater you get as a person, as a Jew, as a, as, as a knower of Torah, the more complex your mitzvot are in terms of appreciating it, the more it affects you in a more unique fashion. I now really understand this. I dug into it. I had a better perspective. For Hanbam, it's the complete opposite. When you're in your you know, lower level states, we'll give you reasons, we'll help you out with this, it's for this and for that. When you got to the final stage, there's one reason. It's complex, but it's not complex in terms of describing. It's very clear. It focuses you on God. Nothing more and nothing less. Which you might say, oh, that's, that's the lower, no, that's the higher. What Maimonides means by fear, dread, and awe, you know, is best understood in the model of his understanding of love of God, Ahava, which is taught or inculcated through the opinions commanded by the law and is proportionate to apprehension, right? Ahava was, those are his words, was that muskal, was that chokmah. In other words, love of God is not an appetite or sentiment, not a feeling or an inspiration, but a kind of rational desire informed and stimulated by knowledge. That, that's very clear. Those are his words at the beginning of Mishneh Torah. You look in the world and you find that Ahava, and it's his words in the last chapter as well. Ahava is a appetite, a sentiment, a direction to Yidi'ah. Analogously, Maimonides' idea of fear of God, Yidi'ah, awe or dread, despite his reference to a passion, is neither a bodily emotion or sentiment, nor a desire to avoid punishment, as again it is elsewhere for him, or suffering for committing a transgression. Rather, Maimonides' fear of God here is what we nowadays call God-fearing. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, it's actually, it's the way we refer to it. I mean, at least my Ashkenazic friends say, is he a Yerei Shamayim? What do they mean, is he a Yerei Shamayim? They mean, but they mean when he is Shomer Torah Mitzvot, and when he lives in this world, what's his perspective? Does he have a cognizant? That's right. Can I offer a possible alternative to God-fearing? Sure. Incredibly high level of conscious awareness. Just, you're just so aware of the what's whatever's around you, the, the constant, not punishment, but the the consequences associated with me not being aware of the world around me. There's a so there's Professor, a super Professor high Stern level. claims two words say what you're saying, but yeah, I hear you. Go ahead. You're, God fearing. That's what okay. he said. No, you're God saying it's a, it's, English, a, it's a consciousness. And keep in mind, again, it's a consciousness which ironically is born through, a, not ironically, is born through a constant training in Shminat Torah right? That's Because Torah essentially is constantly turning you towards thinking about whatever it is you're doing. In this world. In Con this world. So the idea is that the mindfulness and a heightened sense of awareness, you're elevating consciousness up to a level that you're just... You can't possibly do anything without having a thought of what's how it works, what's going on, and that that it does it's different than fearing punishment. It's aware oh, certainly of it. not fearing. It's aware of it. But he said, "Nor is desire to avoid punishment or suffering." He's committed. saying it's not that. It's not that. No, no, it's not that. It is. Is yeah, he's saying what you're saying. You know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. trying to translate. Of course, Sammy, Sammy thinks it's not sharp enough. Listen to his next words. Maybe they help more. A life that is consistently and yeah. continuously scrupulous and attentive to its actions, you're calling that conscious, which is good, easier than him, disciplined rather than casual, always attentive, you would say conscious, same point, to what one ought to be doing. Knowing, self-conscious, repetition of the particulars of the law of halakha, conditions the individual to attend to who he is, what he is doing, yeah. when and where he is doing it. And it's an amazing thing, he turned Torah for the mushlam into meditation for the psychologist, right? Well, that's what it became. It became becoming mindful of who you are, of what you're doing at all times. 
That's what the mitzvot are purposed to do, and that's what it will for, for this individual. Never, this but never change. He doesn't. Know, I mean, what the mitzvot you're saying for this they, individual? They, they do between the mitzvot and the consciousness. The mitzvot will never lose that. Right. They'll never become. Um, they'll never become. Un, uh, they'll never. Be, they'll never lose their um, their 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 inspirational side. Your question was, quote unquote, theoretically, when the person got there. Does he need all the mitzvot for conditioning? When I'm in the, uh, you know, for, for me, certainly for me, I assume for you as well, for me and for you, so the practical, pragmatic side of all the mitzvot is a necessary part for conditioning us and building mm-hmm. us, etc. Mm-hmm. For this individual, you know, it's, it's, it, we don't know. I mean, it's, it's, this explanation of the law reduces all the commandments to one dimension. Exercises that train one to concentrate on apprehension. These exercises involve first, full, wholehearted, and exclusive attention to the task and object, and second, the minimization, if not eradication, of everything that would distract one from full, all-absorbing apprehension, in particular, all bodily desires, needs, and impulses, which of course brings us to the former part of the Pedic, where he described your engagement in this world, but, you know, minimizing it, so that you can focus properly. As Maimonides says in the passage to which we will return in chapter 9, the commandments and prohibitions, this is earlier, if I'm not mistaken, of the law are only intended to quell all the impulses of matter. The purpose of mitzvot is to push aside your physical desires. Just as Maimonides, and here's the final line, which is really what I repeated a few times, just as Maimonides appropriates the biblical term love for the first actuality of apprehension, what is ahava? Ahava is the beginning of yidi'ah. Ahava is, I look at the world and I understand that I read the Torah and I'm uh, beginning to understand and worship avodah for the second actuality. What's avodah of constant, exclusive, all-absorbing apprehension? I call that ecstatic. So he adopts fear yirah for the training that transforms the first into the second actuality. Ahava into avodah. Ahava plus yirah equals avodah. Love plus fear yields worship. In short, this whole you know map that Harambam has set up for us, although not very relevant in the real sense to you and me, does at the very least give us a perspective of who or what Harambam envisioned is that ideal individual. What have you achieved when you hit end of game? What is it when you've mastered the whole everything and you get to that final stage, what type of world are you living in? The answer is not the world that you and I are living in right now. For Harambam, you're not living in this world any longer, and as a result, mitzvot means something different for you. They just keep you at the top of the mountain. Uh, for Harambam, your engagement with people, not, un- not necessary unless absolutely necessary so that you have something. But go ahead. But then he's saying that the end game is avodah. Avodah. So could we come up with a better word to translate avodah? That was Adam Bob's word. Saying, oh. what do we think it actually means? Well, he gave it to us. He, if that's the end game, what does it actually mean? He, he translated it for us, which was Adam Bob's word. What was that? Um, exclusive, constant, exclusive, all-absorbing apprehension. Is avodah. Is avodah. Which, again, is what you asked last week, rightfully so. So I've hit avodah. Right. I'm Moshe Rabbeinu. Am I staying on the mountain all the time? The answer is yes, but you're not getting there. Amen, amen.